Welcome to C's for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories. From A to Z. Welcome to a special edition of our Nocturnal Novellas. Yes, it is our seventh episode, our September episode. Yes, and it's been quite the break for us. There's been a bunch of stuff that's happening. Yes. I got a poppy, Woo! so that's super exciting. It was your birthday this month. Yes, it's my birthday month. <laughs> and you, what have you been up to the last month? Um, I've been job searching and fingers crossed by fingers crossed. next month I will be employed in a new place. But yeah, that's we've just been keeping busy, enjoying the summer. Mm-hmm. I agree. It mm-hmm. It has been a nice break. But I'm glad that we're back to recording. Yes. And we are hoping, fingers crossed, that as of November, our next season of Seas for Creepy is going to start. Yes. Well, we're going to keep doing the actual novellas in the meantime, like we promised. Yes. But yeah, we're just kind of enjoying. We're going to try some new ways of doing our recordings. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. Please bear with us. Alrighty, so September Nocturnal Novellas. Today I have a folklore for you from NPR.org called The Girl in the Bathroom. Oh, that is, is it a girl's bathroom? Or is it just like a private bathroom? It's a girl's bathroom. Okay, okay. So, in Japan, the schools contain an infernal secret. If you go into the girls' bathroom on the third floor of the building and walk to the third stall, you might find her. You have to knock three times and call her name. When you open the stall door, a little girl in a red skirt will be there. Oh, no. The little girl with a bob haircut is Hanako-san. She wants friends to play with, maybe. Uh Uh-oh. Or perhaps she wants to drag you to hell through the toilet. (laughs) oh no depending on which part of japan you live in she may have a bloody hand and grab you or be a lizard that devours you Mm. you know what i think i'd rather be devoured by a lizard than pulled through a plumbing system to hell i agree you know just that feels quicker it does it it truly does (laughs) could you imagine being in hell though and like how did you come here I came through the toilet system, sir. <laughs> like, the mockery would be hell itself. <laughs> that is your hell. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, Hanako-san has become a fixture of Japan urban folk- folklore over the last 70 years. The most popular origin story for the tale holds that during World War II, a schoolgirl was using the bathroom when a bomb fell on top of the building. The school collapsed on top of Hanako-san, who has been trapped there ever since. But Hanako isn't the only school girl who haunts Japan's school bathrooms. Kashima Raiko, another young girl, was said to have been cut in half by a train. Now her disfigured spirit inhabits bathrooms, asking children who enter the stalls where her legs are. The legend goes that if 
Kashima Raiko is not satisfied with their answer, she will rip your lights off. Okay, I've got issues. Why are you haunting a bathroom if you were ripped in half by a train? That does not seem right. You should be haunting the train yard or like the train tracks or, you know, something more train related rather than a bathroom. Yeah, but maybe the bathroom is like where she's comfortable or like in school or something like that. No, that's some bullshit ghostery (laughs) right there. I'm not here for it. You <laughs> haunt where you died, not the bathroom of a girl's but not not a bathroom at your school. <laughs> Unless you died in the bathroom at your school, then be a moaning myrtle. Live your best life. I, I have no answers for you. No. I'm not impressed with this ghost. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Alright, so what is yours? Okay, so to start my first segment, I'm gonna be talking about a interesting burial ritual. So, located primarily in the Middle East, in countries such as India, Pakistan, and Iran, Zoroastrianists practice a very interesting method of disposing of their dead. So, Zoroastrianism is an ancient religion thought by some to have been the first practiced, so upwards of 4,000 years ago. Um, It originated in Persia. It's one of the oldest monotheistic religions, and there's between 100,000 to 200,000 people practicing worldwide today. So, like, it's amazing that such an old religion still has active practicing members mm-hmm. in 2022. Perfect. Okay. Okay. So, let's get to their death rituals. Patrols? So, Death rituals. Oh, <laughs> death patrols. I was like, um... Okay, I would love to be a part of the death patrol. But, no, not today. The ritual. Okay. Ritual. Okay. Dakma, also known as a tower of silence, is a round structure built in order for their dead to be excarnated. Excarnation is the practice of exposing dead to the elements for decomposition. I like it, giving back. Kind of, but like, it's a, it's a really interesting way why they choose to go that route. Okay. Like, so, so like, the Buddhists, like, in Tibet, they have the sky burials as well, where it's like, it's a part of the circle. Uh, from the research that I've done, Zoroastrianists are not, like, following that kind of feel. Okay. It's more of, like, a very selfish reason. Okay. So they believe that the bodies of dead humans and animals are infected with dead matter and putrefaction, and that death is actually the work of a corpse demon, or Nasu, believing that the demonic presence wants to infect those living around them, as well as the sacred elements of earth and water, the only remaining disposal option is to return the dead to like with a sky burial okay yeah so the cadavers are first washed with a mixture of bull's urine and water to clean the body perfect then the body is placed on top of a tower for vultures and other carrion to consume the remaining bones are then gathered and pushed into a central pit for further decomposition so what's interesting is like only 
very specific professionals are allowed to interact at all with the bodies. So, you know, like how, like in our culture, when you have pallbearers, it's usually the closest people to the dead ones. Mm-hmm. No, it is the specific people that work with the dead that are only allowed to interact at all with it. Kind of like morticians, but more spiritual. Yes. It makes sense, though. If they think that they are possessed by the death demon, it makes sense that you only have one person touching the body. Well, it's funny that you say one, because actually, um, these corpse bearers always work in pairs, as it's considered to be a sin to be in the presence of the dead alone. Hmm. So there's two of them, and they, like, have to hold their wrapped with, like, a white cloth to, like, signify to the dead that they are together, that they're not alone. Smart. Okay. Yeah. So since the dead are considered so impure, these corpse bearers are often not held in a high regard, kind of like the bottom of the totem pole. Oh. If you want to go there. Like, at least in ancient times, I'm sure that might not be the case anymore, hopefully. Yeah. But from what I was reading, it was, like, not a respected career path. Okay. Okay. So in modern times, Zoroastrianists can still use a tower of silence in some areas of India, but in places, other places in the world, um, like in Iran, they have adopted their own graveyards, but they line their graves with rock and plaster them with cement to prevent direct contact with the earth. Oh, that was interesting. <laughs> that was very interesting. Right? But I, I love their reasoning behind their sky burial. Just like, you are unclean. I do not want you touching earth. I do not want you touching water. You are getting wiped out with bull's urine and you're being fed to their vultures. <laughs> you know, I can respect it, but I would haunt your fucking ass. <laughs> Be like, for real? I died of old age, and you're wiping me down with bulls here and to be eaten? Well, and, like, I don't know if this is for sure. I only read it in one source, but I guess, um, so bulls urine, there's a lot of ammonia in there, so it was used as a cleansing agent for a lot of history, but, um, apparently, like, after any interaction with the dead, the living people would wash themselves with the bulls urine as well to clean it off, to clean the death and decaying matter off them. Interesting. So, I... Yeah, the just the whole concept is just so... It's a vibe. It, it's super neat. I, I was interested and I wanted to share. Well, thank you. That was pretty cool. Sweet. So what is your next novella? So mine is a fan story from Lori. Ooh, our first fan story. I'm so excited. Yes. So shout out to Lori. Thank you for sending in your fan story and well, your fan story, your ghost story so we can share (laughs) with our other fans. Yes. So the first two experiences, this is going to be in first first person. Yes. Like she's talking. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. So the first two experiences that I clearly remember were full on apparitions. I would have been between 10 and 12 years old. Okay. All right. So number one, the conductor. We lived right beside the train tracks that was separated from the road by a long green space. It was where the neighborhood kids went to play hide and seek as it was filled with very tall grass. Okay. 
You know what? I'm getting like murder vibes. I from was the grass. getting very Stephen King vibes. Okay. One day I was out there alone, just wandering around when I heard the train whistle. I looked up and there in the middle of the tracks was a conductor. I found it odd that he was wearing the old uniform, black and white, much like a prisoner uniform. Okay. Rather than the current issue, but I thought maybe he was in training. <laughs> the train conductor in train. <laughs> that was so bad. I love it though. But you missed this. <laughs> I know. I truly did. I watched him and wondered what he was doing as the train was getting closer and the horn was getting louder. Oh my goodness. Oh no. he was just standing there eventually he turned and waved at me the train was so close i yelled and started running towards him not sure if i should or not as i didn't want to see what could happen as i caught my breath to yell at him again it was too late the train devoured him oh my god in horror i ran home trying to calm myself enough to explain to my mom what i just witnessed once i finally got the words out she looked outside the window as there were no obstructions between our home and the tracks and saw nothing. So she went out to where I told her I stood stood, and still she saw nothing. She even called CP Rail and they had an investigator come out and still they found nothing. Oh my gosh. I gave them both an awesome description of the man on the tracks. The investigator looked at my mom and took her aside to tell her something and then proceeded to leave. Mom said it must have been my imagination and never spoke of it again. My mind was scarred. To this day, I can still clearly see the occurrence of that day, the day the conductor got run over by the train, and I truly believe he was a spirit just hanging out and working on the tracks. Oh, man, that's freaky. Right? <sighs> the fact that, like, you remember it so vividly. Mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly believe it was not your imagination. No. no. So, our next story, our story number two, is called The Friendly Neighbor. Okay. I, I truly appreciate that she named them. Yes. It brings a happier vibe. Oh, I don't know about happier, but it definitely sets the tone. <laughs> Makes me happy. <laughs> so, after our neighborhood expanded and more houses were built, we could no longer see the train tracks. I was okay with that due to the previous experience I had with the ghostly conductor. Can't say I blame you. Two doors down, a house was built in which a lovely older lady lived, the friendly neighbor. She was always making goodies and crocheted animals for the families in our neighborhood. She became somewhat of an icon and auntie to the kids. Aw, that's sweet. That is sweet. You could always see her sitting at the living room window, watching, smiling, and waving to us as we played and ran around the neighborhood. I think this really, like, speaks to a very well-versed neighborhood. Because, like, if I sat in my living room staring out the window at people, everyone would be like, who is this crazy lady just staring at the children? You know, I definitely get that. This, it sounds like a much happier time. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say, but like it reminds me of kind of of like my childhood, where like you know the neighborhood kids would were all going out to play, and like we all had our friends in the neighborhood. And... Mm-hmm. There was always that one lady who had snacks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You could always see her sitting in the living room window, watching and smiling and waving to us as we played and ran around the neighborhood. One day, my mom got a phone call telling her this lovely lady had passed away. We were all devastated. 
Her family came and emptied out the house and put it up for sale. We all felt the gap of her not being there, and we were sad for a long time. Mm-hmm. One day, as I was coming home, I saw someone sitting in the rocking chair, looking out the window. I couldn't see the face yet, but found it odd, as the for sale sign was still up, and I couldn't see any other furniture in passing by. Mm-hmm. I asked my mom who the new neighbor was, and she said there wasn't anyone. I explained what I saw, adamant that we did indeed have new neighbors. She called the family, who also stated that the house remained empty, but came to check anyway just to make sure no one had broken in. Sure enough, the house was locked up and empty. Once again, my mom looked at me like I was crazy. (laughs) And once again, we never spoke of it, even though I kept seeing this apparition in the window. I was convinced it was our friendly neighbor hanging out and watching out for us. You know, I will say I really enjoy how Lori's mom was like, okay, let's double check. I'll call CP. <laughs> like, I'll call the rail line. I'll call the family. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. You know what? At least she, like, did her due diligence. Yeah, yeah. She, she didn't, like, completely write her off right off the bat. You know, she's like, okay, well, you're saying this. I'll call. I'll check. And then we'll just never speak of it again. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> oh. So thank you so much, Lori, for sending those in. We truly appreciate it. And it makes us feel like somebody out there is listening. Yes. So like we say every episode, if you guys have stories to send in, please do. We would love to read more on air. 100% we would. It's so fun reading them and knowing that we're not just talking into thin air. (laughs) So what is your next story? Okay, so for my second segment... I am going to be talking about an event that happened on this day in history. So when this comes out, it is September 30th, and a few things happened on this day, including the birth of Truman Capote in 1924, who is most famous for writing In Cold Blood, which modernized the novelization of the true crime genre. So like that's super important for me, with the true crime Mm -hmm. being popular again. Also in 1927, Babe Ruth became the first player to hit 60 home runs in a single season. So big noise. Big stuff. I am going to be talking about an event that happened in 1955 when American actor James Dean died in a car crash. Okay. So I actually would like you to do a deep dive into this. Okay. Just because I don't know if you've ever heard about the curse associated with james dean's car little bastard maybe it's it's fairly popular in like north america so like i'd love for you to do a deep dive but i'm just gonna talk about like the events on the day perfect okay so james dean had left los angeles on his way to salinas california to partake in a weekend of car racing in the Salinas Road race event. The Little Bastard was a 1955 Porsche 550 Spider, custom painted with 130 on written in black on the front hood and Little Bastard written in script on the rear. Love that. I guess that was like his nickname, so. Okay. <laughs> Named his car. 
On the road to Salinas, on September 30th, James Dean was pulled over by an officer after being caught speeding and just continued on his way. Beautiful. At approximately 5.45 p.m., a 23-year-old man driving a much larger 1954 Tudor turned left onto Route 41, crossing the center line right into the path of Little Bastard. It is believed that James Dean attempted to sidestep the oncoming car, however was not able to complete the move in time, and the vehicles crashed head-on. Oh, shit. Little Bastard was sent flying. Witnesses reported that the car cartwheeled two or three times before finally crashing into a gully. Holy shit. James Dean was severely injured from the crash. His foot was crushed, his neck was broken, and he had multiple internal and external injuries. But he survived that. (laughs) Well, I mean, immediately, yes. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's worse. I would rather immediate death. I I was very surprised that... um, it was found that he had a weak pulse when they checked, so he was rushed so, as soon as he could to the nearest hospital, 28 miles away. Dean was pronounced dead on arrival at 6.20 p.m. by the emergency room physician. What makes this event even crazier, though, was that James Dean was not alone in the car. He was driving with his Porsche-trained mechanic. Rolf Wolfric, who was driving shotgun, and he had been thrown from the car during the accident. Oh, shit. Wolfric survived the accident, sustaining a broken jaw, hip, and femur injuries, and he, like, required surgery, but he survived. Wow. Mm-hmm. It is believed that the 24-year-old James Dean had been speeding it around 55 miles an hour, or 98 kilometers, but it was believed by many that he was, like, driving at 85 miles per hour, so just speeding when this accident happened. Mm -hmm. So, I would love to talk more about it, like I said, and I will leave that in your hands to cover it in more detail, but I'm going to put a picture, I think, of the car accident. Okay. So, like, what little bastard looked like after the fact onto the instagram so you can see the aftermath yourself all right yes that's crazy right all right what is your last story my tried and true superstitions oh i love that all right so superstition number one never leave a rocking chair rocking Irish legend turned southern superstitions dictates that a rocking chair left rocking is an open invitation to spirits and death may be lying in wait. Okay. Number two, hanging a horseshoe in your bedroom to keep nightmares away. Quite a few Irish and Croatian folklore stories suggest that horseshoes ward off evil spirits. According to some versions of the superstition, you can can hang a horseshoe inside your bedroom, open end up, to collect luck and fend off nightmares. Yeah. Other renditions of the superstition suggest that you should hang a horseshoe above a doorway to bring luck to all who enter. Mm-hmm. I like those ones. Same. Number three, 
Never eat both ends of a bread loaf before you consume the middle of it. I'm sorry, what psychopath out there is eating the bread from, like, both ends? I don't know. <laughs> people who like crusts. No, those people don't aren't valid. <laughs> well, if you do, you won't be able to make ends meet. Okay, well, there you go. You gotta meet your end, not eat ends first. <laughs> I, I don't know. And lastly, hold your breath when you pass a cemetery, or you might also inhale an evil force or recently departed spirit looking to take up residence in your body. According to an old superstition with origins in the South, the superstition which advises holding your breath when passing a cemetery is still common today in some Southern states. Oh. And those are my superstitions. I love those. Those are awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now for my final segment, I'm going to be discussing my favorite topic. Crazy people, no, crazy stuff people think that they can get away with sneaking yes. into airports. Love it. And airplanes. Yes. So this month we are going to Amsterdam's Sheepholes Airport. <clears throat> where a trio found themselves in a slippery situation with Dutch authorities. Beautiful. Three Malaysian nationals traveling from Portugal to Malaysia were at a stopover in the Netherlands when their luggage drew the attention of the border police. The trio, consisting of two men and one woman, attempted to take eight identical suitcases through airport security. Upon further inspection, it was discovered that inside the suitcases were bags of water holding hundreds and thousands of baby eels. Oh, Jesus. Altogether, the baby eels weighed 105 kilograms or 231 pounds. Jesus. And it is believed that there was around 300,000 of them. Jesus, where the where would you get them? I there's got to be like baby eel farms or something that like is expressly breed them. I okay. Some black market eels. What was their plan with them? Were they like special eels? Were they restricted eels? They are restricted eels, and they are a delicacy in parts of Asia. So, like, in actually, sometimes they can be worth more than caviar. Oh. So, definitely, like, the plan is to export them illegally to make some money off them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, baby eels, why on earth do you think that bringing eight identical suitcases... Like, I think that eight was the giveaway. Maybe if you tried your luck with one or two, you might have gotten away with it, but you got cocky. Eight? Eight. Like, why wouldn't you get two of each color? Or something. Something. There's three people in eight suitcases. Touche. Like, three. One for each person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, how do you even have that enough hands? To be fair, Jeff went out of town a couple weeks ago, and I think he took, like, three bags with him. (laughs) Like, they all the same size? No. One was like a duffel bag, one was rolling suitcase, one was a different kind of suitcase. See, but that makes sense. They're not 
three identical suitcases. No. So, like, restricted meaning, like, they were an invasive species, or... Well, no, it's just the EU has banned the sale of baby eels outside of its waters. And these particular eels were a protected species, so therefore under very strict exportation laws. Okay. This makes sense. Yes. Um, Yeah, they were... Like, they're, like, the little baby, they're called glass eels or elvers. Okay. They're, like, really little, cute. Okay. Really small. But, yeah, they were just, like, stuffed. And it wasn't even, like, like, when I first thought of it, I was picturing, like, Ziploc bags. But, like, the picture that I saw, they were just, like, grocery bags tied up. So. So they weren't even in water? No, no, they were in water. But, like, you gotta think, hundreds of thousands all smushed. Like those poor little babies. Oh, good God. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good God. So the three people were detained and the eels were released into Dutch waters. So I'm glad that they didn't make it to their destination. But they got from Portugal to the Netherlands. So that's interesting, too, when you think about it. Yes, but... Um, like when you are flying from Mexico to Canada. Yes. Okay, that's a great point. Yeah. Nobody checks your bags leaving Mexico. Oh. But they check your bags when you show up in Canada. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. Yeah. Okay, I could be very wrong. They might actually check your luggage in Mexico, but like, I, I'm thinking, don't hold me to that. I, I think they do, cause like how maybe they do, but I'm thinking because like they're leaving the EU. The European Union to go to Malaysia, maybe like that's a different type of border mm-hmm. patrol system. I don't know enough about it to really make that much of a comment. Yeah, but that would be my best guess for like international travel. Yeah, but yeah. or they're more worried about what's coming in, not what's leaving. Maybe, yeah. So I'm glad that the eels made it back to the water. <laughs> no kidding, <laughs> Jesus. But how? You know what? I love this segment. Stupid shit people think they can get away with. Right? I, I've got thousands of them. So oh. I, I'm just going to keep peppering them in because they make me happy. They do. Because I, I love how people think that they are so sneaky and they're going to get away with it. Like, I'm going to get away with 300,000 eels. You would have better <laughs> luck sending those through the post. Right? Jesus. Oh, man. Oh. No, but that is uh, my final segment. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your stories. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Yes, huge shout out to Lori being our first listeners episode. It's wonderful. So thanks everyone for listening. And we will talk to you next month. October Nocturnal Novellas. Yes, so make sure... You either submit your story in or share or listen. Just anything you want to do is just, we're happy to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to C is for Creepy. We put out weekly episodes every Tuesday going through the creepy alphabet. Check out our website at acast.com slash C is for creepy or on Facebook at C is for creepy podcast or on Instagram at C for creepy podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, 
please email us at cforcreepy at gmail.com. Artwork done by Alexis Daly. Check out her work at lexxa underscore artwork on Instagram. See you next week. Bye.